0: This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. The U.S. faces a global power competition marked by a changing cyber landscape, underscoring the vital imperative of the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA to accelerate its efforts to connect and protect the warfighter in cyberspace. DISA is taking bold and decisive action to ensure that the information technology that supports current and next-generation warfighters and weapon systems are protected from intrusion and attack while creating secure access to critical information anytime, anywhere. What are the strategic priorities of DISA? How is it strengthening the security and resilience of networks and systems? What is it doing to prioritize command and control? And how is DISA leveraging data as a strategic asset? I'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, Director of the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA. General Skinner, welcome to the show. It's great to have you.
1: Great to be here, Mike, and uh, gl- glad you're giving me the the opportunity to have a
0: discussion today. Wonderful. So, for some context setting, could you tell us about the mission of DISA and why is it so important, sir, to the success of the U.S. Department of Defense now more than ever?
1: But, you know, that's a great great question, Mike, and and I'll tell you at the end of the day, you know, the, the DISA um, Defense Information Systems Agency as a combat support agency um, provides information, technology, and communications to the warfighter. Um, And we provide it to not just the warfighter, but to every single segment of the Department of of Defense. There's no mission that I know of that isn't leveraging in some form or fashion a capability that uh, has DISA's fingerprints on it. That's why I think that uh, the the, the importance of DISA to the department cannot be um, overstated. And especially now, when you think about all the, um, the dynamic environment that we live in today, the geopolitical situation that we live in today, the Department of Defense and the, the national security of our nation is at the utmost importance, uh, and we play a key role in that.
0: That's wonderful. I was wondering, how is organized, General, and what's the size of your budget, the composition of your workforce?
1: Yes, and, and actually, Mike, you know, that's, a, that's a great question because uh, back in October, we reorganized, um, we, we went from a, a couple of centers to four key centers um, because we tried to kind of st- streamline and flatten the organization a little bit and, and put four key leaders in charge of, of different areas. Uh, the first one is kind of our di- digital capabilities and security center. And their big charge is, developing innovative, secure, and interoperable digital capabilities and services. They uh, also have what we call the Joint Interoperability Test Command and the Defense Spectrum Organization at, as part of that uh, organization. Uh, we also have, and that's being run by, by Mr. Jason Martin, uh, the, we have also have, which is a new center we call the Hosting and Compute Center, and they provide unified hosting and compute capabilities for the warfighter. And we really brought together our standard ecosystem of hosting with our innovative um, cloud computing program office, cloud capabilities pro, pro program office. We brought those together to, to bring the, the tried and true hosting environment with the innovative uh, new way of thinking and, and brought those together. It's been a great merge of capabilities and and I'd offer is... There's a lot of innovation going on within our ecosystem together. And those minds from those two different organizations are are doing some some great things for our enterprise. And that is uh, being run by um, Ms. Sharon Woods right now. We also have our operations and infrastructure center, which is this is really providing, operating, sustaining and synchronizing capabilities and services um, from an operational and from a transport standpoint. And this is where each one of our combatant commands, we have a DISA field command or field office that is right there with that combatant command, meeting the needs and the requirements of that combatant command from an agency perspective. And so that's, that's kind of our front line to our, our warfighters. And so that's under our Ops and Infrastructure Center, which is being run by uh, Mr. Don Means. And then the last area, which I'll tell you, Mike, it's, it's interesting, right? We did not have innovation. In any part of our organization structure. It was part and parcel in, in uh, different places. And while we have innovation going on in each place, their enterprise integration innovation center really brings that together as a as an organization and, a, and as an agency to really bring a little focus to not just innovation, but like a chief data officer. We did not have a chief data officer um, prior to Last year, and so we've actually have an organization, an organization under the Enterprise Integration and Innovation Center that is focused on developing the strategy for uh, for data, and, and I'm happy to, to talk about that in the future. And that's being run by Mr. Roger Greenwell. So those four centers are kind of the center of gravity for the organization and driving all of our services and and the capabilities. You ask about our budget. We got about a 12 billion dollar budget. Yes, that's with a B. Um, which is significant, right? And, uh, and so that, that's a lot of uh, purchasing power and uh, and buying power for the department. Um, about a third of that, uh, I'll say, is um, in uh, appropriation uh, from our con- congressional leaders, and then about eight billion of that is in our in our working capital fund. Um, and actually, you know we, we awarded like six billion dollars in contracts last year. So we talk about partnerships. Um, those contracts are very key and and, and show a, a significant level of partnership that we have with industry on a day to day basis. And about one point six billion of that went to small business. And you talk about our workforce, which I will tell you um, our number one priority and our number one asset, and our number one, the thing that sets us apart from every other, I'll say nation, Um, is our workforce. And we have 19,000 civilian active duty reserve um, and contractors that are supporting our mission on a day-to-day basis. Uh, And that's over 37 distinct locations.
0: So uh, General Skinner, you know, I was wondering, with such an important portfolio that seems to be really streamlined to fit your vision, can you tell us more about your duties and responsibilities as the director of DISA, and also the commander of the Joint Force Headquarters, DOD Information Network, Fort Meade, Maryland. What, what is that? Is that an added uh, aspect to your portfolio?
1: Yes, it is. And, and it's very interesting because because in my Joint Force Headquarters, Doden hat, I can actually direct myself in the DISA hat to go perform cyber operations and the cyber functions so sometimes I have to think about um, as I do this directive, what is, what's the impact going to be in my other hat and will I get mad at myself for providing that, that uh, direction um, and or timeline? Here, here's how I k- kind of, um, just as General Nakasone uh, is dual-hatted as the uh, National Security Agency director as well as the Cyber Commander, it's, it's very similar but in a much, I'll say a smaller sense. Um, so the jfhq Doden, as a commander, uh, on behalf of General Nakasone and Cyber Command, our, our job and role is to secure, operate, and defend the, this thing we call the Department of Defense Information Networks. Um, and that is a significant uh, network. Just to give you one little nugget on how big this is, if you look at countries and IP version 4 addresses, the department of defense is number three in the world in relation to how big it is. The number one is United States, which by the way, we are part of and number two is China and the department of defense is is number three. So that is a significant terrain I'll say in space that we have to operate, secure and defend and or direct that as an operational level C2 headquarters. And so when you think about all the cybersecurity things that are going on, when you talk about ransomware, when you talk about ensuring that the missions of the Department of Defense is being enabled and leveraged by communications and information technology and mission systems, our, our job is, is is ensuring that, on behalf of Joan Oxoni again, is that those missions are able to be accomplished without... Um, I'll say freedom of maneuver when it comes to uh, cyberspace operations. So that's, and ha- have me talk about it a little bit more, but that's kind of the, the on the Joint Force Headquarters Doden side. Um, on the DISA side, as part of, I'll say, as you look at the DOTIN, because it's so expansive, we've kind of broken it up into 45 different areas of operation. Um, because it's, it'd be too hard, You know, it's, it's almost like supervision, right? The, supervising 3 million people, as an example, or 300 million people with one organization will will be very difficult. Um, So so what we've done is is we've divided up into 45 different areas of operation. Um, And so that's what JFHQ-Doden directs those 45 different commanders and directors to go function as part of the secure, operate, and and defend mission. DISA is one of those. And this is responsible for really the front gate of the De- Department of Defense Information Networks. We run the internet access points um, that allow the department to go through these a- access points into the rest of, of the internet, which is a, a huge job because that's kind of your, your, your picture window, your, your front window to where the adversaries are trying to get into, uh, that you are trying to protect, um, as well as... Our missions require access to the outside internet, and so we have to make sure that 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 access is available uh, at the at the time and place of uh, of choosing and or you know what the mission dictates. And so, from a DISA standpoint, so that's that's kind of one part of our mission, and then we provide information technology services and support to. I would say as I mentioned earlier to everybody in the, the Department of Defense, but also from a national standpoint. So example, the White House Communications Agency is is under is under our agency and that provides communications to the president. Right. And anyone that the president and the National Security Council um, and our national security leaders need to ha- need to communicate with. Whether that's internal to the government, whether that's to industry, or whether that's you know, head of state in any type of uh, in, in, in any country that the President and our senior leaders need to get a hold of. We provide support to the Secretary of Defense uh, and his ability to uh, communicate with the combatant commanders, to his staff, um, to actually to the, to the warfighter in the foxhole. Um, that communication has to occur um, at the time and place of our choosing to make sure that we have decision capabilities, and uh, the, the speed to make the right decisions based on our mission. So I, I could go into a whole whole litany of, of different capabilities uh, that, that we provide. but I think that, that, that kind of highlights that you know we're in every mission mission set. and it can range from anywhere from a computer to a mobile device to a big server to a big data center, um, and everything in uh, in between,
0: yeah, sir, that was a wonderful kind of uh, crystallization of the, the the breadth and depth of your portfolio. And I'm, I'm I'm thinking to myself as you were going through it all, this has got to be challenging managing and leading such a tremendously. Uh, expansive portfolio that goes to the core of keeping this country safe and our warfighters safe. I was wondering, given your duties, what are some of the key challenges, say management challenges, leadership challenges, however you want to caveat it, uh, what are some of them that you face and how have you sought to address those challenges?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting, Mike. The um, I, I would offer the one of the big things that we try and do on a day-to-day basis that that is a, ch- a challenge in any organization is how do we reduce, if not rid ourselves of institutional silliness. Um, that's, that, that's a coin that, that one of my friends used many years ago that, that we keep at the forefront of what we're trying to do. And that is any policy, any directive, any initiative, anything out there that is inhibiting an individual or a team's ability to innovate, to get after the problems that we have today, uh, and or tomorrow um, that that's stopping them from being the optimized team or optimized self that I think is, is one of the biggest challenge in any organization, especially the organization of this size in that many different locations. Um, as you know, there's always some urban legend and folklore that says that you can't do X, Y, and Z. Uh, but when you really dig down into it, there is nothing out there. Um, and it's not a, you can't, um, and, and so unless it's explicit, explicitly stated, then there's some flexibility to get after the mission as long as it's, you know, as, you know legal, moral, and, and ethical. And so that's what we're trying to drive within the organization is one of the big challenges is how do we get rid of that institutional silliness so that we can be more effective and efficient with the mission that we have. The, the other thing that, that, we're, that we're focused on from a challenge is how do we improve our relationships and our partnerships with our, whether it's our mission partners, whether it's industry, whether it's our allies and partners. um, There is a vast amount of capability in all parts of organizations and how we can leverage the partnerships to get lessons learned from others lessons um, so that we don't have to keep, have to reinvent the wheel or that we don't have to learn it ourselves? Um, how, how do we build those partnerships so that we're learning from each other because a learning organization is a better organization, which becomes an innovative o- organization? And that's what we're, we're, we're trying to drive. The, the other thing that we're lo- also looking at is we have a phrase called, you know, wouldn't it be cool if... And ensuring that individuals, when they ask that question of themselves, when they ask that question of others the real heart of the question is, is don't limit yourself by what you are trying to do um, because you think it may not be approved or somebody may not like it. Sometimes you have to ask something that you may think is unreasonable to break the artificial barrier that you have a, a above you of getting after the the mission. And, and so as you, as you think about, you know, wouldn't it be cool if um, we have a force that is just amazing. Um, if I would come in the military today, I I would definitely not be as successful as I was back in, I'll just say a few decades ago. Um, because the, the, the capabilities and the talent that we have today from a force standpoint is just tremendous. Um, and amazing is, is, is the word that that I use. And so the challenge is, is how do you keep them engaged? How do you have the right, professional development? How do you have the right um, recruiting and retaining processes and procedures um, to, to keep the force moving in the right direction, but also how do you bring in, the force in a force in an agile manner that sometimes the personal systems of the Department of Defense are still industrial age versus where we need to be today. And while we've made some great strides, being able to hire someone in days um, and maybe a couple weeks versus months is, is the goal I think that we've got to get at, especially with the way the mobile force is today and people don't necessarily want to stay in the same position or same organization or same company for decades now. Um, and so how do we adjust our personnel practices and our hiring practices to, uh, adjust for that?
0: That's great, sir. So, you know, I was wondering, since you take, took on your role, your leadership role, what has surprised you most about DISA and your role there? <laughs> I would say the first thing that surprised me is, while I've been
1: in the organization before, and I was in JFHQ Doden uh, about four or five years ago, what surprised me the most is how expansive the portfolio is of the agency. I did not realize every single thing that we were involved in. And I'll tell you, I've been here a year uh, and I still don't know all the different places because I'll get an email from one of my counterparts that says, Hey, I need your help. And and they'll talk about a program or they'll talk about a system or they'll talk about a capability. I'm going, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so I got to go find the experts who, who are doing great work and, and are, are, are driving through on things, but it's just, it, it, it's the expansiveness of that. You know, the, the other thing, Mike, and and, and just go back on, the, on one of the key challenges. The, the other thing that we're is, I'll say the um, risk management framework process. Um, This is a process that allows systems and applications to be approved to operate on on our DOD networks. That is still a very arduous process um, that is not a part of a continual monitoring and a a continual authorization. And so one of the challenges that we have is uh, we still have a plethora, I'll say, of legacy systems and of administrative processes that in today's dynamic cyber environment are not conducive to truly understanding on a day-to-day basis where your risks are and uh, where the threats are and so moving from the administrative and legacy to the operational and modern so that you can have an understanding because if you have understanding then you can get after the initiatives and you can get after the outcomes that you're trying to achieve from a mission standpoint. So as you balance and harmonize the user experience and what the user sees on a day-to-day basis and maintaining cybersecurity, because you always have, whether it's adversaries, criminals who are always trying to gain an upper hand uh, by getting in in your systems and how you harmonize that is important uh, and one of the big challenges that we have going forward the other thing I'll offer from a, a surprise and and I'll tell you it, it's a good surprise. the talent throughout the organizations um, and the talent that that our that our, our supervisors are bringing in is just amazing you know as, as I talked a little bit about you know kind of how we the the challenge of of, of maintaining these individuals, the talent's there and making sure that we relate to those individuals and the talent that they have and putting them in the right positions to excel both from a professional development standpoint and from a a, a mission standpoint is um well, well, that, that that's a challenge it's a good challenge to have because of the talent that, that, that we have and then uh, i'll say the final thing from a what has surprised me is the partnership with industry and the partnership with our defense industrial base and the partnership with our mission, uh, mission partners is better than I thought it was. While there are challenges there at the heart of every partnership is a true understanding that both parties or all parties are trying to get to the same outcome, which is success, um, and best value. And that surprised me that, uh, um, at, at how much that has matured since the last time I was here.
0: That's wonderful. You know, I was wondering, sir, if, um, if you could share with us how you lead and where I'm going with this is some of the characteristics. What are those characteristics that you found during your career that makes an effective leader? And perhaps you could share with us some of your principles.
1: Yeah, Mike. Um, I'll tell you, the first and foremost is um, delegate to the lowest level possible has always been a hallmark of leadership styles, uh, that I've tried to emulate from, from those who have kind of mentored and, uh, mentored me. Um, because that, that instantly brings buy-in from those parts of the organization to really get after the problem sets. Cause if, if as a director or a commander, you're into every little detail, um, from a micro standpoint, uh, a you don't have enough time in the day, and b you're not making you're not allowing your your force and your people to be effective as as they can. The other thing is uh, you got to show you care about the individual. It's, so it can't just all be can't all be about mission. Although you know, it, as as you've heard before, and and others have, you know, it's 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 mission first, people always. Because there there are certain places we wouldn't want to send anybody, but because the mission requires it. You, know, you have to, but, you know, showing people that you care with your actions, not just your words is very important from a leadership standpoint. And and then I'll say outcome decisions have to be fact-based, try and take emotion out as much as possible, outcome oriented, and then make a decision and, and press with it. Uh, you will never have 100% of the information that you need or the data that, that you need to make a 100% perfect decision. It, it just, you, you will never get there and then you'll be paralyzed um, through, through analysis. So, uh, so as a leader at, at whatever level, um, get, as, get as much information as you can and then press um, and then don't be afraid to adjust. Um, I think every one of us has made Probably decisions that we, looking back, we would go, probably probably would have made a a different decision or I probably would have changed it sooner. Um, And so the the ability to adjust um, is, is important.
0: What are the strategic priorities for NISA? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and our guest today is Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, Director of the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA. So, you know, I'd like for you, General Skinner, to kind of outline your strategic vision for DISA, and particularly, could you... Uh, tell us more about your strategic priorities. You kind of alluded to uh, the line of efforts that, you're, that you've that cre- you crafted in the previous segment. I was wondering if you could delve into it a little bit and how it kind of marshals your vision.
1: Sure, that'd be great. You know, at, at the end of the day, uh, uh, this is vision is to be the trusted provider to connect and protect the warfighter in cyberspace. That's, that's kind of, that, that, that's what we want to be. That's what we, 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 we strive for. Um, and for t- fiscal year 22 to 24, We've we kind of outlined, I'll say five uh, priorities um, that we have a different action items underneath that we, on a bi-weekly basis, we look at these action items and see how well we, we are progressing towards the, the t- towards the objectives. I would tell you the number one mission, and this is our, our, our LOE one, the number one mission priority is the prioritization of command and control. As, as I mentioned earlier, right? we're responsible for ensuring that the president, uh, the Secretary of Defense, our combat commanders, our uh, Department of Defense, senior leaders are able to communicate and provide command and control to either each other, to uh, our fielded forces at the, again, at the strategic operational and or tactical level and, and up and down. They've gotta be able to communicate in a secure environment where necessary, in a bad day environment, um, if a bad day uh, happens in the future. And, and, so that, that's, and so that's why that has to be our number one priority, bar none, from a mission standpoint. The second one that we have, and I'm happy to go into in any in uh, insights into that one if you like, is how do we drive force readiness through innovation? And as I mentioned earlier, right, we, you know, we have innovation in a center in, in, the, in the name of a center. And this is really about how do we leverage machine learning uh, artificial intelligence, robotics, process automation, any innovative uh, technology or process that really drives our force readiness. Because innovate to innovate means nothing to me. Innovate to improve our readiness. Innovate to improve our outcomes. Innovate to improve our capabilities. That's what we have to focus on. And so, those were just a, just some of the, f- of the few areas that we had. Leveraging data as a center of gravity is kind of our, our I'll say, middle priority. And, and this is really about, uh, to me, data is a center of gravity. And if you own the data, then you own the high ground. Uh, I'll say operational speak. And you own the decision space more so than others who don't leverage data as a center of gravity. And I'll tell you, if you think of all the 300 million IP addresses that we have—that's just IPv4. If you if you think of all that space, uh, there is something connected to a lot of those, and that something is logging and/or there's data within within each of those. So there is a significant amount of data uh, across the entire Department of Defense that, if we can really leverage that at all the different levels we'd be uh, a lot more powerful than we are and i still offer that we're the most powerful department of defense in in the world the the fourth area and this is where kind of the how do we harmonize cybersecurity and the user experience if you looked on linkedin and other social media sites you'll see things about fix my computer uh you'll you'll see you'll see uh, other articles where individuals are very passionate about their it capabilities uh and so how do we harness the technology and optimize that that technology while also ensuring we have the right cybersecurity so that a user experience is better than it is today? There are sometimes, and I've said this in, in other forums, where you know the the endpoint of uh, some of our endpoints and some of our, of our devices, they're the soul crushers of the of the mission because it is just it takes too long to log in. It takes too many times to input your, whether your passwords or your, it, so there's a lot of things that just go into, it's just not a great experience at that times. And then some of the latency comes into play. And so we're really focused on, okay, so so how do we improve that, that user experience while maintaining the, uh, the, the security? And then the, the, the final one, which I kind of left for last, but I would offer it's the most important one overall, which is empowering the workforce. Uh, we talked a little bit about it in, in the last segment. And a lot of people, when they say, say the workforce, they talk about you know professionally developing, ensuring they got the right training and education, ensuring we've got the right personnel processes so that we can hire the right individuals and then retain them. Um, this is also about organizational design and also about organizational efficiency. Um, we, we cannot compete with industry from a strictly monetary standpoint in a lot of the positions that we have because of how important they are, both from a department standpoint and and from a nation standpoint. And so there has to be other areas. First one would be mission, right? I mean, we have a a unique mission uh, that people can do things within the Department of Defense that they can't do anywhere else. But also you want an organization that is, that people want to come to. So the culture of the organization um, it has to be a culture that, that people want to be a, a part of. Uh, the bureaucracy, you want to have minimal bureaucracy so that people are able to be the best of themselves, as we talked about earlier, and, and you, you optimize the individual and you optimize the team um, aspect. And so you know being part of a family, and so all those things kind of come come together to have a, I'll say, a organizational experience that people want to come to, but more important than that, that people will talk to their friends and say, I work at DISA or I work at JFHQ Doden and I love it. And here's why I love working there. Probably not peaches and cream uh, every day, uh, just because of the dynamic nature and the, and the environment that, that we work in and, and that we operate in on databases. But it's truly a place that, uh, that people want to come to and they wanna share it with, with their friends uh, and their colleagues. I tell everyone, I skip to work every day. I'm excited to come to work. Uh, I'm excited for what we're for what we're doing, but by the end of the day, I'm I'm dragging home uh, because of all the the work that the team is doing. But then I, I get some rest and I come back and I'm excited the next day, and that's that's been every day since I've been in been in the seat.
0: Well, I'll tell you, sir, it comes through in your conversation with me right now, and I I'd like to jump ahead a little bit and talk about. Um, a terminology or a phrase that you use that I came across, and that is the velocity of action. I was wondering, why is it so important to focus on this velocity of action when you are focusing on securing network communications for our warfighters?
1: Yeah, um, so, so I'll tell you, the, the reason that, that I picked the velocity of, of action to win and, and, and we as a team is um, a lot of people will use speed. And speed to me is just, it's going someplace, but you know what? You may not be going the right place, uh, but you're going fast. It's like my golf game. I can hit the ball far, but if I'm hitting it far in the woods, it does me no good. And so velocity is is really about um, having the right speed and acceleration in the right direction. Because that's the only way that we are going to stay ahead of the adversary. All you got to do is read in, in, in open source what some of our adversaries are trying to do. Uh, on a day-to-day basis, and how agile they are, and you realize that that we have to to maintain that velocity, and it's all about action, right? We, we can, you can study things, you can research things, you can do a lot of things, but it, it's all about action and getting to outcomes, and so really focusing on that to go. Okay, we know what we need to do. Let's just get after it, and if there is Bureaucracy in the way, if there are speed bumps in the way, then let's address those and get after them. Because at the end of the day, uh, this is about maintaining the rules based international order that we are accustomed to and that we are the leaders in that is at stake uh, in the future if we are not. Accelerating, and we, are, we, we do not have that velocity of action to, to win.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. You know, earlier, sir, you mentioned the uh, DISA is a combat support agency, and, and that your, your you know no fail priority is command and control C two. Can you define for us what that really means in action, and why is it so critical to the success of the mission of your agency? Yeah, this, this
1: uh, C two, in a very basic sense, is the ability and the exercising of authority and direction by a senior leader, usually a designated commander, over assigned forces to accomplish a mission. That is, so so there's a, you you provide direction and then there's the proper control measures in place to have that direction be understood and and executed. Uh, And that is really at the heart of the department's mission is there is a mission that has to be done And so the ability of multiple echelons to be able to provide that direction to the force so that the force can be agile and get after the problem set. And so if you think about the ability to to do that, if you're in a disconnected environment or if you're in a contested environment, then that ability still has to be there you still have to have the ability to command and, and uh, control. And if nothing else, the ability to have the left and right bounds for your commanders and your business leaders and everyone else to go uh, run and uh, I'll say drive action against the objectives uh, will have to be there no matter what. And even if it's a disconnected environment, they at least have the last known uh, left and right bounds that, that, that they, they can work through. And our ability to enable that, even in a contested environment, even in a bad day scenario where there's contingency operations, having the ability to have that infrastructure in place and those programs in place for our leaders to be successful and to have the right information to make the right decisions so that we can be successful from a national security standpoint is really what it's all about. And this even goes, and I didn't really mention it that much, from a senior leader standpoint, is our nuclear command and control capabilities, right? Our NC3, that is part and parcel to strategic command, to the Department of Defense and our nation as a a significant deterrent capability. And we've got to make sure that at any point in time that the president and our our national command authorities are able to give the the, the proper direction from a national security standpoint, and that's why it's our number one priority because that is truly a no fail mission.
0: So, sir, you mentioned earlier the the drive for action, uh, and I want to talk about the drive for force readiness through innovation. You know, to what extent do your efforts involve leveraging hybrid cloud adoption and truly innovating process, technology, and force structure?
1: Yeah, I, I would say we are. We're leveraging as much innovation and as much uh, innovative technologies as we can. Uh, We're in the middle of um, an acquisition for the joint warfighting cloud capability, which we can't really talk about today, but the plan is to award those contracts in in the the December timeframe, which is really Mm -hmm. enabling the hyperscale cloud service providers um, to help us as a department in, in our cloud strategies and in our cloud offerings. That, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to get there as soon as we can uh, to take advantage of that. The, the other things that we're really, uh, I'll say we're, that we're kind of focused on is, you know, you hear this, these terms zero trust, right? And, and zero trust architecture, and everybody's going to zero trust. At the heart of zero trust is this thing we call ICAM, Identity Credential and Access Management. And that's another initiative that we're innovatively working through to how do we ensure that we have the right individual having the right accesses to the systems and the data that, at the point in time of what they're authorized and no others, because we, we got to make sure that you are who you are and you have access to, to that right data. And then leveraging the zero trust archi- and that's a foundation to zero trust architecture, which really gets at the um, I don't think there is any network that is impenetrable by a persistent uh, actor. At some point in time, so, something will happen because of the, the, the speed of and the agility of when a vulnerability comes out and the ability to exploit it is just mind-boggling when you think about how quickly those actors can take advantage of that. And so you have to have a system in place. There's, there's, there's architecture, which really, while it's trying to stop access, It's also trying to limit the ability to laterally move through those systems and gain even greater access and or greater beachfront into your network. And so that's really, to me, where where Zero Trust really comes into play. Uh, And it really takes the current technologies and leveraging those in a a significantly large environment as we continue to mature from a a technology standpoint. And so that's kind of where we're... As you, know, you think about zero trust and think about identity management and access and uh, management and the credentialing, um, and then how do we leverage that with the cloud? Those are all things that we're continuing to work through, but really leveraging the, the technology that industry is doing a great job of, of leveraging. Uh, what we're focused on is can you scale, right? Because of how big our environment is, you've got to have the ability to scale, which is very important.
0: You know another area you mentioned, sir, where you're innovating is around, you know, changing culture around data as a strategic asset. I was hoping you could tell us more about your efforts in this area. What are some of the key challenges to transforming your agency toward a more data-centric culture?
1: The uh, I the biggest challenge is is stovepipe data, um, and I think that's a challenge for many organizations. is Is how do you ensure that you have access that I'll say there's an enterprise ability to access the right data necessary and access that data to where you can have a more holistic look at what is going on within your organization, whether it's personal processes, whether it's network defense, whether it's, whether it's cybersecurity, service providers, being able to have your applications and your artificial intelligence and your machine learning uh, applications, being able to access the veracity and the expansiveness of all the data to really give you a a better uh, decision because you have more data to work through. And and that's because there's so much data, you've gotta leverage AI and you gotta leverage robotics process automation to to get after those, those tasks that take a long time with a a human having to do that whether manually or through spreadsheets and really leveraging that that technology to put that data into a understandable form and and understandable linkages with uh, with other data so you you can kind of see vice a data point you can see trends and you can see connections in between data that that you couldn't see see before that's really what we're trying to get so how do you have a data strategy for an organization as large as ours that brings in all these different disparate organizations, and getting from today, which is more disparate, to a a more holistic look from a data and enterprise standpoint, is really what what we're trying to accomplish with our chief data officer.
0: Yeah, it's a nice segue into into another area that you point out in your strategic vision, which is uh, you know to what extent, general, does cybersecurity need to be harmonized? With the user experience and what is DISA doing to do that internally?
1: Well I, I will tell you it, it, it has to be harmonized. Um, if you have so much cybersecurity and so much protections on a uh, on your device and it doesn't work then w- what good is it to that user or to that mission partner? And so it's got to be harmonized but the other part is, is uh, our users will find a way around. Um, if something is not working, they will find a way around it. And, and usually it's probably not the right way that you want them working around it because it may open up uh, additional vulnerabilities uh, that that could be exploited. And so harmonizing that uh, is really what we're trying to do. And in the first place is on the endpoint, is what actually is required on the endpoints to maintain the right level of security without crushing your central processing unit without crushing your, your storage devices. That's really what, what we're working through. And and so we have, we're working with the service CIOs and others to come up with, with different ideas of how we can streamline that to where it doesn't take as long to log in or you have access when you need to. And it's really another part is blocking and tackling, making sure that the systems that we have in place for those protections are configured correctly using industry best practices that enable that security while also ensuring that it's available and accessible, um, no matter where those individuals are, those are some of the things that, that we are working through right now.
0: How is DISA working to strengthen the security and resilience of networks and systems? We'll explore this question and so much more when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host. And our guest today is Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, Director of the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA. How is DISA using artificial intelligence, machine learning, and the adoption of robotic process automation, RPA, into defending DoD networks? How are they being leveraged?
1: There there are certain things just because of, from a security standpoint, that that we, we, we can't talk about some of the innovative ways that that, that we are using them. Here's what I, I will tell you. I'll, I'll just talk, you know, robotics process automation, you know, contract work and the financial community work and the financial transactions is a perfect place that we are leveraging today, the robotics process automation to um, streamline the reporting process, to streamline the audit process and the streamline the requirements that it takes to, to get a contract out on the street. And we've already seen significant uh, resource reductions and significant time from things that would take normally 10 hours to minutes from a process standpoint. And, and so that, that, that's really opening up the workforce to actually get after the harder problems because these things are the, the things that are more commoditized. Uh, we're leveraging RPA. From an AI and an ML standpoint, as we talk about big data platform, and we talk about how do you find a needle in a haystack with all this data that we have, that's where artificial intelligence really comes in is finding that, that needle in, in a haystack that it, do you have a problem or do you have an adversary that is uh, someplace where they're not supposed to be, or, or, they, or they shouldn't have access to from a logistics standpoint? Um, how do we have just in time logistics? Well, you can leverage AI, to understand what the trends are and what the past actions and activities are and, and how long it takes to work through the logistics system to where you can have just-in-time logistics, or you can understand where the bottlenecks are that you couldn't normally see. But because you have all this data that you can put it in an application against, shows you and gives you insights into where you can streamline the process to make it less bureaucratic, I'll say, and get you the capabilities to the warfighter capabilities to our mission partner capabilities to our department of defense uh, much sooner than you would without having those I- insights so as you talk about ai and rpa it goes hand in hand with you got to have the right data strategy and the data tagged appropriately or at least have a an api that allows you access to that data um, they work hand in hand and and i i think you you sub optimize ai if you don't have the ability to access all all that data.
0: That's a wonderful point. You know, I was wondering, sir, since you took over uh, your tenure as leadership of DISA, how are you fostering and sort of managing and balancing a culture of risk taking and innovation throughout the agency?
1: One thing that that we like to do is, um, if a decision is reversible, or if an activity is reversible, then let's go all in and, and let's go go all in fast uh, because we're we're going to learn. And we're going to iterate, and we're going to innovate, but you're going to get there that, that much faster. Um, if something is not reversible, that's one that I usually take a little extra time on, and, and make sure we have is the the right level of data and understanding before we make that that decision and then press. That's kind of a, a mantra that I've I've used for for many years, but it really gets at the you know if if it's if it's reversible, then then let's move out and and let's learn and. And get after it. The other thing is, is to be agile, you can't expect to have all the data to make a perfect decision as as we talked before. And and so let's we, we will go with it with imperfect data and then adjust as we move forward.
0: So, sir, how are you leveraging partnerships and collaboration within DOD across government and with industry and academia to improve operations and achieve mission results?
1: But I'll tell you, Mike, I, um, th- there's very little that we do that we don't do without partnerships. And, and I would tell you from a United States standpoint um, and from uh, that's what that's what sets us apart from our peer competitors is the partnerships that we engender, the partnerships that we have with, with allies and partners is, is second to none. While it's not, it's just like a family, while it's not perfect all the time, um, I think that's what, what sets us apart. And I think that's what, what sets this apart is is the partnerships that we have with our industry and others that we continue to mature and continue to leverage each other's talents moving forward. So, so I think that's that, that's kind of the big thing that we continue to try and uh, push forward because at, at the end of the day, partnerships are powerful and, um, and are necessary in today's very chaotic and crisis uh, enabled environment.
0: Sir, is there any, other key accomplishments you want to highlight and perhaps maybe you could tie them to your vision of what the future holds for disa yeah
1: the, the, so, so a couple of things that that, uh, that i'll highlight and, and i'll tell you if you know we could take an hour talking about the the key accomplishments uh that we have and, and i'm getting a the shaking of head from from the team going okay <laughs> if we don't have an hour um uh, i'll tell you the thunderdome um, is a pilot that we have going on now that, uh, that we'll be making a fielding decision at the end of the year. Um, and that's a kind of a new way of thinking about how we're going to do cybersecurity and, and network routing for, for, for the future. The work that that, that, that team has done um, in getting to where we are today is, is phenomenal. Um, the identity credentialing and access management team, uh, we just, you, you may fall on LinkedIn, we just put out a minimum viable product um, for the department, which has about, um, I'll say, 30 different applications and and a multitude of organizations who who are leveraging it, it today. The uh, th- those are a couple of of examples. The but I could go through, you know, the work that we're doing from an infrastructure standpoint, the work that we're doing in the cloud environments, and having, you know, uh, containerized. Uh, cloud capabilities, um, it's just, it, it's amazing if you look at each of the different organizations and what we're doing on a, on a day-to-day basis, you know, I, I feel bad by only, only mentioning a couple because there's so much going on that that the DISA is producing on a day-to-day basis that, that most people don't know
0: about. You know, I was wondering before we get into my last question, is there like three takeaways or three items you want our listeners to really know about DISA and its transformation?
1: yeah, I, I'll say you that you know the the first thing which I think every organization has had to deal with is we are a much more agile and mobile force than we were two years ago before the the pandemic. Um, we, we have, uh, I won't say we've mastered, but but we have worked through this hybrid environment of uh, virtual and in person and making sure that the train keeps running and the wheels keep keep turning forward. And there's a lot of, you know, because we work in the in classified environment, being able to balance that between the classified and unclassified and the workforce and being here is, um, the, the organization has done a, an amazing job of of keeping the, the wheels running, especially when you consider the, the amount of mobile subscribers to our capabilities. The department as a whole uh, was not ready to be mobile two years ago, but we are much better for it today and what we've gone through. And... DISA was at the heart of enabling that mobility. The other thing I will tell you is, is if you look at all the operations uh, that are going on across the world from a Department of Defense standpoint, I want the listeners to know that DISA is engaged in every, every single one of them. And there's a part of DISA that is supporting each of you listeners as you are looking for and working uh, with information technology, with with communications, and or with, with cyber capabilities. Uh, and the final thing I'll say is, we are continually striving to improve our velocity to get after what the department needs us to do and what our, our users and our warfighters need. And so that is at the heart of every conversation that we have. When somebody walks into the DISA headquarters building today, what they'll see on the front uh, screen is, what have you done for the warfighter today? What have you done for your, your mission partner today? Because um, that, that's what I want all of us to continue focus on, because it's not about this headquarters. It's about the field commands that are supporting our combatant commands. And it's about uh, all of our mission partners and the, the, the support that, that we are providing on a day-to-day basis. And, and I'll say the final thing. I know you, you just said three. The other mantra we have is transparency of understanding. And being able to provide the context around whether it's our costing, whether it's our capabilities, so that people understand exactly what we're able to offer and at what price point. Uh, And then we can have a a discussion of whether that is best value or not. But at least everybody has the same understanding as, as we move forward.
0: General, those are great points. I'm glad you shared with us those points. I wanted to ask you one last question before you go. What advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? i would say public
1: service isn't for for everyone but i will tell you public service you will get something out of it and you will be happy after you do that because your ability to and the the opportunity to give to your nation and to give to those from from a national standpoint cannot be overstated in how you will feel afterwards and so i'm i'm all for people with public service, because because I think it's a great calling.
0: Wonderful. Thank you, General, for your time today and taking some time out of your busy schedule to be with us. But more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country.
1: Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the time and, and hope you have a great day.
0: This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, Director of the Defense Information Systems Agency, DISA. Be sure to join us next time for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government leadership and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And as always, at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us.